small pockets of people um but society wide globally essentially in our global community i think we're seeing really a manifestation of frustration that people don't feel as though they're being heard and there is almost nothing more enraging to a human than to feel like they don't exist. That was Dr. Jennifer Chatfield on this week's episode of the People of Veterinary Medicine podcast. The People of Veterinary Medicine, brought to you by Luca Veterinary Data Security. Greetings, DVMs, practice managers, vet techs, support staff, veterinary consultants, and podcast enthusiasts. Welcome or welcome back. In this week's episode, we are talking with Dr. Jennifer Chatfield, who is just a really fascinating person. She is a former practice owner, a lecturer for all sorts of different organizations, um, including one that a lot of people, including myself, are familiar with, which is the uh, Fetch and uh, DVM 360 conference circuit. Actually, I think I came in to connect with her through uh, Dr. Adam Chrisman, which is a great connection. She's the co-host and producer for the Vet Candy podcast, and she also just started her new thing um, called Is This a Thing? Uh, Veterinary Translations for Pet Owners on YouTube, so definitely check that out. In this conversation, what I love about kind of the format of this podcast and not having anything that's really structured or uh, just kind of the one structured opening question that I always start with is you never know where the conversation is going to lead. We talk about everything from mini horses being service animals, which was news to me, to really, again, the idea of what uh, Dr. Jan had talked a lot about in his episode was the idea of leaving the ego at the door, uh, kind of tough conversations, uh, being able to accept criticism, and all the things that life can throw at you as a professional in trying to grow your career. And one thing that I struggled with a lot is not comparing yourself to where people are, but realizing that the situations that people are in is because of the decisions that they have made. And so there are times where I feel really lucky to be in the position I am, and it makes me feel a little bit of guilt right? That I feel unfortunate that some people can't experience and do the things that that I am also doing. And I have to realize that uh, A, people may not want to experience and do the things that I'm doing. And B, people have made their own decisions to get to where they're at and the things that they're enjoying and what they're trying to accomplish in life. And I think that was a really kind of a great life lesson. And um, again, we talk, we also touch on a lot of the taboo topics and some of the great wisdom that you can learn from some of the old uh, religions. We talk a little bit about my Buddhist history and we touch a little bit on Judeo-Christian theology and and we talk about conversations and politics and uh, and we talk about the Fletchner Report and all these different things that seem so taboo that we probably shouldn't talk about. But we talked about them and it was great to dig in and Uh, again, have tough conversations and explore these interesting concepts and ideas. And for me, that's what it's all about, having conversations and learning about people and growing as a person as a result of it. So anyways, uh, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. We get into so many different topics. It truly was an honor to have her on. So with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. But first, this episode is brought to you by Luca Veterinary Data Security. 
where our mission is to help veterinary practice owners everywhere realize the value of their data and help them take the necessary steps to protect it. So if you need help protect data in your practice, the first thing you can do is go to luca.vet and download our five simple steps to protect your practice ebook, which is free. So again, go to www.luca.vet and look for our five simple steps to start protecting your practice. Yeti blue mic and then the headphones that go through it, which means that I can't use a good webcam. I just have to use the built-in one, which is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because for some reason I can't, or I can't figure it out how to make my Mac air um, happy with the Yeti headphones as the speaker and using a fancy webcam. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And makes sense. You, YouTube has yet to present me with an answer. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, YouTube anyway. university doesn't have a course on that yet. I mean, hello, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be alone. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, super excited. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for this interview because now it seems like, man, you are just like a, a veterinary celebrity. I, I'm seeing you all over the place what? now that we're we're friends on LinkedIn. I mean, it just seems oh. like you're you're moving and shaking and doing all sorts of amazing things. I love LinkedIn. Like I don't like social media, but I yeah. love me some LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Awesome. I I um I mean I use Instagram mostly because I um mm-hmm. I like to do a lot of street photography. So I have like mm-hmm. a street photography account. Um, oh, cool. So I guess for my listeners, if you're interested in that aspect of my life, you can check that out. It's uh, at street and then the word dopio and dopio is like double espresso. So if you search for street dopio, you'll find my all of my street photography work. But yeah, that's awesome. And I didn't even notice the little red recording on the screen. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Hey, Here we go. because, because then you would get nervous and then, you know, it's like, you just got to start it and go, you know, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Although I don't, I mean, I don't really get nervous. So, oh, well, see, <laughs> but, exactly. It's back to just the, the veterinary celebrity aspect of you. You're used to this sort of thing right. by now. Right, right, right. No, I've just learned, I learned a long, very long time ago that I'm not good at being anything that I'm not. <laughs> hey, there you go. I like so, it. I like it. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So this would be great. Yeah. So, well, I guess, you know, I, I only have one scripted question that I use in all of these and that's okay. essentially, how did you end up in vet med? How did you end up where you're at Ooh. today? Oh my goodness. That, so that is a, that is a good scripted question. Um, so I guess, uh, from a 30,000 foot level and philosophically, I would say I ended up where I am today because I said, yes. Um, and really tried not to turn down any opportunities. How did I truly end up where I am today? Oh, but for the grace, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I just lucked out. That's all I know. But um, did you want, you probably want like more practical details. Maybe. Yeah. Well, no, whatever's exciting, I guess. Yeah. Th- I mean, yeah. what do you think was a catalyst in, I mean, yeah. I mean, getting you, I mean, did you practice for a while? I mean, what oh, are, yeah. yeah. So what are some of the, some of those practicalities? Yeah. yeah. And then- yeah so, um, so, uh, after I got out of vet school, um, uh, my, my first job, I did a lot, a lot of medicine, the first handful of years out of school because I had no money. Um, but I had this single marketable skill, right? Like I could, I could do the magic. Um, so I, um, worked as an associate vet at a, at a, pretty good size zoo. Um, and then at night I worked at an emergency practice. Um, and so I did that for almost a year. 
And then I went to another zoo um, and there was really no emergency practice in that area. And I was only there for 10 hot minutes anyway. Um, so I worked on Saturdays at a practice um, and I had another job at that time I took um, that paid me as many chicken strips and French fries as I could eat. Um, but I took the job cause I wanted the job to get the next job, you know? Um, and then I moved back to Texas and worked full time, um, at another zoo, um, doing a little bit of relief work, like, especially, um, in during the holidays, I would work emergency shifts. And in that area of the state, there had never been an emergency clinic. And I got involved with local organized vet med. Uh, and I guess some of the other doctors that had larger practices, like heard on the street that I used to work in emergency clinics or that I still did. And so, uh, a few of them approached me and said, we don't have one. Would you start one, an emergency clinic? And I'm like, sure. Just like quit this full-time gig. I have and do that. No, of course not. Because I would like to do everything all the time. So I maintained my existing full-time job. And at the, at the same time, I had also started to work at the um, local university a little bit too. And I opened an emergency clinic, um, which was great. It was great. Like it was a win, 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 win. Everybody winning all the time. It was awesome. Um, and I loved it because I just love medicine. It's so incredible. Um, and so... I did that uh, for a little over two years. And that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, and then I moved to Florida um, and I decided I can't keep working like this. Um, but uh, anyway, so, so then I didn't really work full-time clinically anymore after that, which was gr a great, great fortunate opportunity, right? I could kind of pick what I wanted to do. Um, so I did relief work and then I moved into public health. So there was like a one, it was like, if you took this one job description, it came across my computer twice and I try to pay attention when stuff happens, right? Like, you know, if you think there's a bigger power in the universe, I don't know what you want to call it, whatever you, but I try to listen for the whisper so that like stuff doesn't have to blow up. <laughs> for me to hear what the universe is saying. And so um, it came across my desk twice for no known reason. And if you took that job description and you just like lifted it out of the posting, it would be a description of one health. And, and I said, yeah, okay, I guess I'll try it. Um, I hear you. And so I did. So that was so fantastic. Uh, I was working as a liaison, which is great because I mean, you just travel around and make friends, influence people, shake hands. It was awesome. But, um, but I made some incredible contacts around the state doing that. Um, and then I continued to work in public health. And then I, and then I decided I was kind of waiting for the next adventure to present itself. Um, and uh, so then I went to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Um, to work in the U.S. House. And that was incredible. Like, I mean, I'm just a little old veterinarian. <laughs> there I was. Um, and so then I, I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a couple of years um, and then came back to Florida and had this opportunity to start doing more media. Um, and so here we are.
So what's the, the broad, what's, broad the media, what's the media aspect? So the media is, um, so I guess about 18 months ago, uh, my brother and I started a podcast um, and uh, which like we started because we thought it'd be fun to have a project together. And um, uh, we weren't living in the same place at that time. And so it was like an, ex- it's an excuse to chitty chatty with your sibling. Um, and, uh, and so, and that took off, which has been great. Um, and then we started doing some video shows with, uh, our friend, um, Dr. Courtney Campbell. Um, and so th- those are doing quite well. And then I decided to, I just wondered about what all goes into like post-production for, you know, any sort of video processing, like how hard is that? Um, which is frequently the question that gets me involved in, um, a lot of things, which is, I wonder if I could do that even. So, um, just, uh, about a month and a half ago, maybe I launched my own show, um, on YouTube. And so that's been kind of an adventure. Um, but yeah, so what's it, well, what's the show called? Oh, well, thank you so much for asking, Clint. It's called, um, is this a thing? Veterinary translations for pet owners. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, uh, all the things that, uh, I, I would find myself having to say to every client who had a dog with a broken leg or every, every client who had a dog that presented with HGE or, you know, kind of all these things, because we use all these words and, um, you know, like regular people don't know what they are. It's not fair to expect everyone to remember that. Um, they hear it one time in an exam room in the context of paying for a bill they weren't expecting. And, you know, like they're, they're, you can't expect the panicked brain to learn. <laughs> so, you know, so it's kind of meant to be like just, just a, another source. But Okay, um, well, I have, is this a thing question for you then? <gasps> what? Okay. Are you ready? ready. We're, this is, this, we're doing it on the spot here. I'm ready. All right. So this week, this last weekend has been uh-huh. just like a whirlwind with my, our little 15 year old Yorkie. He's a, <gasps> he's got a whole host of health problems as it is liver mass, early onset kidney disease. Mm-hmm. And then in a matter of like, I don't know, it had to be like 48 hours. He went from having like a slightly red eye to uh-huh. just a ruptured abscess through his cheek. That was oh. just like disgusting yeah. the worst smell i've ever smelled in my life yeah um so i mean and then to finding out he had also on top of that finding out he had a heart murmur and we had to get like an echo done and like yeah. it has just been a crazy four days yeah so is this a thing question for you is yeah. so yesterday he had you know he's 15 he had pretty heavy dental surgery yesterday to remove five teeth including yeah. the one that was bad right and today he still seems like kind of decently drunk is yeah. this a thing yeah. So, um, um, I, well, I have a number of questions. So right. and anytime your pet has, um, an anesthetic episode, um, no matter how invasive or non-invasive the procedure is that they were anesthetized for, um, you should keep an eye on them for the next two to three days, which you're doing right. So check, check Mark. Um, and I think it can be a real thing that they have some residual effects. Um, so, because my initial questions would be what drugs were used? How long was he out? Um, did he get any, um, fluid support mm-hmm. while he, he was did. anesthetized? I'm sure, he did. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. he did. I'm sure he did. Um, and then, 
how long did you go? Like, I'm sure at midnight the night before you picked up all the food and water. Mm -hmm. And then the, um, the next day he had the surgery mm-hmm. and maybe he, when he came home, did you offer him anything to eat or drink? And did he, yeah, eat okay. he did drink and he okay. did eat a little bit of soft food, but just yeah. a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Not much. So and he didn't my, really want to seem to move yesterday too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's 15, right. And old age is not a disease, right. But it's a mm-hmm. complicating factor. So mm-hmm. the fact that he has, um, abnormal liver, cause he's got the mass mm-hmm. and he's got uh, early kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that process any anesthetic. And so my advice, um, if you called me on the phone in my practice, I would say, oh, just drop him by. And I would give him some subcutaneous fluids if you could bring him by. If that's not possible, then I would say I would offer him chicken broth, lots of chicken broth or beef broth diluted to encourage him to take in more fluid than he otherwise would. Because okay. that, that's what you need to do. You need to f- help flush all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think I am the fluids doctor. <laughs> Just so you know, anything yeah. that comes in that's, that is sick. Um, I don't care what it's sick from. I'm, I think it needs fluids. Yeah. Um, you know, we give the machine what it needs and it, and it fixes itself a lot of times. So, yeah. So for all of my, all the doctors, vet techs and stuff in practice managers listening to this, they're probably like, God, Clint, why did you ask that question? Like, you know what I mean? Like, but for me, it's like, I, I'm like, Hey, this is my show. I get to answer, ask any kind of questions I want. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, hello. And but here's the thing. Like, so you're asking that question. Um, and I mean, you've been around the business for so long. You have so many people you could call, but isn't it interesting that we, it, it's very different when it's our own pet. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. 100%. Right. I mean, like, yeah. you know, uh, I, I can, I can do all kinds of crazy advanced things and, you know, pull pets back from the brink. But when it's my pet, I'm like this, I'm kind of a basket case. I'm like, <laughs> and it's not that I'm hysterical. It's not that I'm upset or anything. It's just that I'm like, I, I'm going to, and then it, mm, the, like the neurons don't connect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, no, one of my, uh, it. one of my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Kassara Andre, you know, on, on Saturday, or it was, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, like I texted uh-huh. her and I was like, oh my God, Trey's eyes. She's been helping. Okay. Another admission because we just started doing sub Q fluids for him because of his kidney stuff. Yep. And I tried once to do it under the skin and he screamed yep. and the needle came out and I was like, yep. I just can't do this. And you're like, like I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, I, I mean, like I've, you know, I've, for most people who know me, I've got far more tattoos than most people should probably want. So like needles, you know, people are like, oh, needles shouldn't be a problem for you. But when it comes to like sticking that thing in, uh, in my dog's back and, or I mean, under his skin, I shouldn't say his back, but under his skin and, mm-hmm. uh, hearing him scream, I was like, oh, I can't do this. So anyway, she's been, yeah. she's close, closer to us than our GP. And so she's uh-huh. been kind enough to help us administer, oh, that's these, awesome. administer these fluids. But I told her, you know, I like, I texted her. I was like, oh my God, his eyes all swollen and red. It's terrible. And then I, re- and then I felt bad. Cause I, t- and I told her, I was like, sorry, I definitely panic dialed. Like I was just like freaking out. And I was like, well, I know Kassara's phone number. So I'm going right. to text her. You know what I mean? It is true though. It's like any port in the storm and you do not yeah. care. You're blowing exactly. it up, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 100%. Yeah. And then the same with the uh, Dr. Shadi Rafich, who's one of the the founders of vet triage. I was calling him. I'm like, Hey dude, yeah. you, this is what you do. Can we, can we take a yes. look and see what's going on? Uh, 
yeah. So again, I'm super fortunate that I have all those people in my corner mm-hmm. to help me navigate those things. But yeah. Uh, and that that's, that's what my show is supposed to be for. Um, if you don't have a veterinarian, who's like a BFF that you can dial right up and say, I mean, I don't want him to laugh at me, but is this a thing? Should I take him to the vet? Do yeah. I need to panic right now? Or can I wait till the morning? Um, so not seeking to diagnose, but, um, I, I have always approached, um, vet med from the standpoint of, I'm, I'm lucky in that I got to go get that education. And so my whole job is to share it to with pet owners so that they can make as informed a decision as possible. Right. Like I'm not there to decide because not my, not my pet. I haven't known them for 15 years. Right. I, you know, I haven't loved them. I haven't seen them through all this stuff, but I can provide you with the information that I have. And then together we can make a decision. And so, Yeah that's what the show is meant to be is to provide that, um, bridge that gap a little bit for the common things that occur commonly. Um, so yeah. And I'm super stoked because, um, coming out very shortly this week, um, will be my first large animal episode. Ooh, I nice. know, yeah. I know it's on equine colic. Ooh, wow. So, yeah. So I'm super e- excited. Does equine just mean horse? Like, is that just horses does. or does it, it does. include like donkeys as well? Or is it? Yep. And it's like a whole, it's a whole, yeah, it's a whole class, right? So it's, um, horses, donkeys, zebras, all the exotic, um, equine breeds like, uh, you know, pea horses or equines. Um, so yeah, all of those together. Okay. So what's the deal with the mini horses, which like, like, like mini, like mini horses. a, why would you have a mini horse, right? Like this thing adorable. that's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the majority of our breeding r- rationale in the first place, right? With most animals because they're adorable, but I like, mean, and, and with humans for... too, right? <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, this is true. But yeah. I mean, were they ever bred for like a specific reason? I've never understood the purpose of, of a tiny, those little like miniature, like mm-hmm. you can put it in the back of a sedan. Right. Uh, I don't know that they were ever supposed to be quite that small. I think that in certain climates, the smaller horse as a pack horse um, is is very useful. And so I think that's how they came to be like, you know, hundreds of years ago. But um, I don't think that the ones that can fit in the van mm-hmm. necessarily are, you know, necessarily were for a purpose so no gotcha but they're super okay. adorable <laughs> yeah we actually there's like this farm here in arvada and they have a that we used to always drive by because where we used to live in yeah they had a couple of them and i was always like what the heck is the like, purpose of those things <laughs> like come on, yeah come i mean on, other guys. than being a pet yeah, yeah 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 but they're like that they're kind of a pet that's like interesting because it's not like you can like bring them in and they're gonna like sleep in a dog bed at you well Okay, it's amazing. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So, uh, what's what I find? Okay, I love mini horses. Uh, number one, because they're mini, and number two, because they seem to have about three times the personality in each one of them as any giant horse or regular sized horse, right? And they are the quintessential escape artist. If you put them in a paddock or a stable or something, you better really have it together because they will get out is what they do. It's like they scheme. Right. And so, um, they're kind of like the orangutans of the horse world, I would guess. So, um, in the federal definition of a service animal, um, a service animal can only be a dog or wait for it. A miniature horse. No kidding. Really? So yeah. what would you do with as a service animal with a miniature horse? Like, how would you, 
Well, you could train them to be just like a seeing eye dog. Um, and you're they, walking through Target with your mini horse. Because by general definition. Yep. You'd have to have one of those little bags around their butt, yep. just like the Christmas horses and stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And of course, um, people don't don't necessarily realize this, but um, facilities do not have to allow service animals in, right? Like oh. law allows for um, a, an establishment, a premise, or what what have you, to uh, decline entry for the service animal. Now, thank goodness, in general, most people are not jerks, right? And so they don't do that. Um, but certainly, uh, the law also says that the the, the animal has to be um, under the control of the person and uh, at all times. And uh, I, I think the law also says they have to, in a more artful manner, indicates they must clean up after, <laughs> after oh, the pet, gotcha. if there's yeah, an accident, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so. Okay. Yeah. So here's another question that I've, I've been thinking about Okay, like with, with equine animals. So like, it's like rut season here in the mountains. And so there's like okay. crazy amounts of elk everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and like, you know, you see like the Christmas again, to bring it back to the Christmas analogy, yep. there's like the, the you know, if, if Adam Christman's listening to this, you know, we're making a lot of references to him you know yes. adam chrisman and anyways i was I thinking about, I mean, his, and his, her, his incredibly biblical name <laughs> yes exactly yes yes exactly yeah but uh yeah so there's like all the elks and there's like the ones with the massive racks and it's just it's yes. like a christmas card you know kind of thing. yep okay but i've always wondered like with deer elk uh-huh out cattle uh-huh do they like do they even consciously realize that they're defecating or cause it just seems like they're going about their, they're walking and it's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know that they're consciously aware. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. Just doing its thing. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that gets into this whole philosophical thing. So, uh, I, my answer is yes. And, uh, the reason I say yes is, um, because you can train them to control that. Oh, right. So yes, they know they're doing it. They just don't care because they have uh, not been given any reason to care. Care, right? Right. Then there right. are other giant animals, right? Like um, like rhinos, for instance, that um, you would presume just wouldn't care either, but they actually use what's called latrines. So really? they they have a latrine system, so that rhinos, in general, will defecate in one area. And not anywhere else even so, like even in the wild this is like a wild yeah, yeah, thing yeah too. yeah 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 really like if you just, yeah you just have them out they, they they will use a latrine system um so that most of their uh fecal Waste. material yeah. <laughs> will be in one place so the, here's why i know this right there would be no reason for me to know this little nugget except for the fact that um i was once a rhino keeper. And so when you go to clean up the rhino pen, it's very different than if you go clean up an antelope pen, right? Where it's all everywhere, you know, just he'll, every, haphazard. But with rhinos, you can take the bobcat, um, like the, you know, the little, they call it a mm. skid steer, uh, the little tractor and drive it right over to the latrine, scoop up the poop and dump it into the dump truck, right? You can do that with rhinos because they use a latrine. Um, oh. So I so know. Far, so they're far easier to take care of then. Yes. On, in some ways. <laughs> Did you take care of hippos too? Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, not as a keeper, but as a veterinarian. Yes. Um, I mean, they, so everybody talks about how like dangerous they are and scary they are. How are, how are they in like a confined like space? Like, 
in um, so uh, every, every animal is dangerous, including humans, when you are unaware of how to communicate with them, right? And so if you, if they're communicating with you that you're in a danger zone, or they're getting upset, and you continue with whatever you're doing, then then they're dangerous, certainly. But if you recognize how to um, receive their communication, meh, they're not that dangerous, right? Um, so, uh, now I'm not saying I'm volunteering, right. But I'm just saying like every animal, I mean, I've been in some pretty sticky, um, situations. Um, and I, and I find that out later that they were probably like exponentially scarier than I perceive them to be because of, um, I've been working with, uh, lots of different species of animals since I was very small. And so you just innately learn to recognize their communication um, or else you don't get to be big. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So you get, you got to pay attention. You got to listen. I think you said something that speaks so well of the current state of the world. Even people are dangerous when you you're unable to communicate with them. Yes. I think that I think it beautifully sums up just the state of the world. Cause one thing that has kind of come to my attention, especially mm-hmm. the interviews I've done this year is a topic that, Maybe it's just me, but um, I just feel that we as a society have lost the ability to have tough conversations together, right? Yeah. The ability to like come in and be like, I disagree with you, you disagree with me, but it's cool. You know, like mm-hmm. um, it's now we've container it, containerized everything, you know? So it's yeah. like your Facebook profile, your whatever profile, uh-huh. whatever, is all the people who support your opinions and ideas and the people outside that group are bad people. They're not, they're not good people with bad ideas. They're bad people with bad ideas. See how you just made that jump. And I think that's what's happened in like the last 10 years or so is that majority of people, um, they, I can still respect you and really like you as a human, even if you and I disagree. But when when I lose that respect for you, which means that I could call you whatever I want, right? Personally insult you, what have you, then there, that's a different level of discourse. And I think that's what is unfortunate. And I think the level of frustration that we're seeing um, kind of society-wide, not necessarily in small pockets of people, um, but society wide globally, essentially in our global community, I think we're seeing really a manifestation of frustration that people don't feel as though they're being heard. And there is almost nothing more enraging to a human than to feel like they don't exist. Right. And so I think that that, um, because I have lots of friends I disagree with. Oh, a lot of friends. And we all know yeah, what those yeah, yeah. topics are. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. it's okay. We're okay with it. And we, we, we talk about them. But not all my friends can talk about the topics on which we disagree. Right? I have a couple of friends yes. that they because they can't. I mean, I can because I still love them as a friend. But they, they just, for whatever reason, they can't they can't reconcile that it's not good. So I just leave it alone. But I have other friends, man, we talk about it all the time, politics, religion, what I like doesn't matter. Kids yeah. like, you know, discipline. We, we talk all about it. We disagree, eh, but it's okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, you even talked, you know, like, um, you know, you even talked, you brought up like the no, no topics, right. Which is, which I think is an interesting idea and concept. Like if we look at mm-hmm. like just the first one, re- religion or, or theological mm-hmm. concepts, these are some of the most important topics that we mm-hmm. could debate. Right. I mean, they're, they're aimed at, aimed at answering life's questions. Right. right. Um, and for so many people, they are the foundation of who they perceive themselves to be. Right. I mean, that's pretty significant for a human. And if you question it, it might sh- yes. shake the foundation a little bit. I think yes. what happens. Yeah. And from personal experience, I had a, I had somebody that I thought was a good friend that I had for a number of years. And mm-hmm. I'm just a very inquisitive person. Uh, you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I'm not like, and I, and I don't know, like, again, maybe it's my own personality downfall, but I, I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions or be like, well, what, you know, I've heard this. What is your mm-hmm. opinion on that? Yeah. Yeah. And we had a conversation around a theological topic and it was like, no matter how often I apologized or, you know, it never went away. Right. No. Like yeah. Right and ever there. since then, yeah. And ever since then, it's just been like, yeah. um, I don't know how to describe this without giving, I don't want, like, I'm not trying to bash them or anything. Cause I feel terrible. They were a great friend of mine. And I, yeah. I you know, I wish I had made that mistake, but it's like, yeah, I, I kind of got labeled. And then from that, yeah. that point forward, no matter what I do or, you know, everything related to that, like yes, every action you took, they would relate back to that. And that was the motivation, right? Yeah. For, yeah. And I think, but I think there's a lot of people that do that. And, um, as veterinarians, like we have to work with, well, we don't have to, but we get to work with people from all walks of life, right? Because anyone can have a pet. Um, and so being able to communicate effectively with people who are very different from each other and then very different from, from me, um, I think, well, I think that's an important skill as a human, right? But as a veterinarian, it's even more important because people come to you in not necessarily their best hour, especially at emergency clinics. And so, yeah, I mean, I, we have to allow for them to be human, but not necessarily allow for them to forget that we are human too, right? And I think that that's one of the key things that new veterinarians maybe aren't necessarily being told or having demonstrated or recognizing because just because I recognize that you're really upset because your pet was hit by a car or is, you know, non-responsive and laterally recumbent. I can allow for you to not necessarily be your best self, but that doesn't mean I have to accept you calling me names, right? Like, I can hold up a mirror and say, I want to give you a minute. (laughs) I'm not calling you names and you're not going to call me names. I'll be right back. Right. And just, yeah. um, Because people just don't, they just don't necessarily realize. And so I think that some of those nuances for discussion are, are lost. Like so many people don't have them and I don't know why, but they don't. No, I think it's a great, I think it's a great point because I mean, there's been a lot of talk, especially somebody who's heavily involved in technology and mm-hmm. um, all the, you know, all that entails. There's a lot of discussions about just the overall effects of. Oh yeah. They blame the Facebook. Yeah. Facebook. And because we're now, now we're no longer communicating as a community 
like face to face, um, having community interactions. It's now we have this community online, mm-hmm. but it really is a completely separate world in life. Right. Like, I mean, there's the whole yeah. joke, like the Instagram, like you now see people doing, it's like Instagram versus reality. And so right. people right. are very transparent <laughs> that the idea that the lifestyle that they're portraying on these yeah. social media platforms doesn't in any way really portray reality. Yep. And I think one of the also, one of the downsides of the current pandemic and, and one thing that I, I also, uh, think about a lot is, you know, having to wear a mask when you're in public to help, you know, control mm-hmm. and, and curtail this pandemic, I think has a negative side effect in that, you know, there'll be times where I'll maybe hold a door for somebody and you try to smile to give they them that can't. impression, like, but they can't see it. So mm-hmm. as you, then you wonder like, or do they see it in your eyes or can they pick it up other ways? And you start to cover up and lose some of these social cues. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's just such an interesting time and, and to bring it back i think yeah especially for younger professionals maybe even mm-hmm. the vet space uh, like when i was talking with dr jan bellows who's the dental dental vet oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um you know he was talking about the importance for him of how he had to like lose his ego and that was the best thing he could do mm-hmm. uh to become a specialist in everything that he's accomplished within his community mm-hmm. and yeah now i think we're really losing those community skills and now we're we're forced into a situation to help the health and safety of, of the nation and the world to kind of even separate ourselves further from, from mm-hmm. each other. So I think it almost exasper- exasperates a lot of those problems. But I also think that um, to some degree that uh, society's willingness to accept that excuse also contributes because can you imagine what they said when the telephone first made the scene, right? Like, well, now I don't even have to go into town because, you know, like, so church and the, the store, right, the community store or coffee shop or the feed store or whatever, like there were places in each community where everybody kind of congregated to get the news. And they didn't all congregate together at the exact same time, but there were these like, uh, you know, there was some sort of predictable um, dynamic, right? And then the telephone came along. Okay, so, you know, I don't have to go. I can just call so-and-so. I don't even have to leave my house, right? Can you imagine that they probably face the same? It's, it's something that um, eliminates the true necessity of that face-to-face engagement, right? But so I, I, don't, I, I, can't, I don't blame the technology totally. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think, I think there's a lot of, I think one thing that modern society and science has us to offer is now we see the, like the addictive behaviors and the dopamine mm-hmm. responses to oh, yeah. Facebook likes and clicks and, oh, yeah. and what that does. Um, oh, that's true. Oh gosh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so now we can kind of see the addictive behavior and how that addictive behavior is taking yeah. over. And, um, you know, like aside from the privacy issues that I was concerned with Facebook and one of the reasons I got off the platform, mm-hmm. um, was just the other one that I just saw, I started really tracking how much time I would spend on it. Right. And I realized that it was really detrimental to a lot of the, for me personally, maybe not for other people, but yeah, yeah, we can kind of see those things. And I think it's, yeah, I'm not trying to say I have the answer. I just think it's in it, you know, when we bring up the idea of conversation and and talk and Mm -hmm. being able to effectively communicate with people, it does create for, um, for interesting problems. And I think back to my original point is, and then I think with the social media aspect of it as a whole Mm -hmm. is, you know, we see this idea that um, you can kind of really containerize what, what you, 
specifically you, containerized. You don't have to hear from people who disagree with you. Yeah. You, like you can just pretend they don't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Which has never been a great approach. It's not, it hasn't been the American approach, right? Like right. in America, you know, we take all comers, right? Right. And so like, we don't care if you show up with money or without money, you know? Um, and that's been the approach. And then now you can really with, with little to no apparent consequence, just cut whole groups mm-hmm. out of your, out of your world. Right. Yep. I don't think that's really very good. Yeah. Um, which is why I, uh, tell veterinarians, especially new veterinarians to get involved in local vet med associations. Right. Because I mean, the national one's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, State ones, yeah, okay. Unless your state is like Connecticut or Delaware or something, because you know there's ten people there. Yeah, I, that was a joke. I'm waiting for everyone to laugh. All the listeners need to laugh. You, right? I'll be here all I'm, day, folks. Yeah, because I'm from Texas, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but um, but so if, if if you don't engage with your local veterinarians, like your colleagues, friends, um. I mean, what, like, how are you supposed to know what's going on in the world at large? And you don't yeah. know if people disagree, but that forces you to talk to people who might disagree with you, you know, like, uh, you know, if I, so I'll say this, right. I'm not, a. I don't use homeopathic remedies, right. I'm going to use some generalized terms. Listeners don't kill me on the internet, right? Like I'm using this for demonstration. Don't cancel her. Thank you. Don't cancel me because <laughs> so, I'll screw up the verbiage. Like yeah. I'm just going to accept that at the beginning, but there's no ill intent. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I, like I'm not the person that, uh, I embrace antibiotics. Okay. <laughs> and anesthesia and all this kind of stuff. And I've done some really, what I would consider crazy things to fix some animals as far as the combination of Eastern and Western medicine. But there are practitioners who only use, um, Eastern therapies and approaches, et cetera. Okay. Is it annoying for me and my brain to have to account for that and to leave it in the conversation and whatever? Well, sure. Because it's, it's not in my brain, right? It's not my position, but should I be forced to interact and engage with those practitioners as well? Well, duh. Yeah. I mean, hello, right? But if I don't go to my local VMA and I just do Facebook groups or I just do whatever, like I can easily pretend they don't exist and then, you know, further um, demote their status in my own brain. Right. But every so often you got to engage with people who do stuff totally different from you. doesn't mean you have to change who you are or what you do, but you got to, you know, come on, expose yourself to these people. Although don't expose yourself, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's what, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you another, another, uh, taboo question that maybe is, uh, maybe (laughs) we're we're not, we're not allowed to talk about it or ask about it. Okay. What are your thoughts on on the, the Fletch? I think it's the Fletchner report, Flexner report from the early 1900s. I think, I think it was like 1950. Tell me what it says and I'll form an opinion right now. Oh, you don't know about this. Okay. So this <laughs> Perhaps is like, I'm unaware. Yeah. So this is a, this is it. You were talking about the difference between Eastern and Western medicine. Uh-huh. What yep. people have, there's, I think it's Flexner or Fletch. I think it's Flexner okay. report. I could be saying it wrong. So again, don't cancel okay. me for getting this wrong. I haven't thought right. about this in a while, but I think it's an interesting ta- concept. Okay. Um, so in, in the early 1900s, prior to 
the United States really embracing the German approach to medicine. Okay. It, you, there were a lot more individual practitioners, right? So you may have, what is interesting, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, is like mm-hmm. the chiropractic industry is one of the few mm-hmm. industries to actually survive oh, post, right. this report, post this report. Okay. Got um, it. Yep. But what we saw beforehand is you would probably work with maybe a dietitian or nutritionist, and mm-hmm. then your mm-hmm. your general doctor would work with them, and then you maybe would go see a chiropractor, mm-hmm. you may go see an herbalist, and so it was it was kind of this more community approach, this mm-hmm. whole. It's a holistic both. approach. I mean, you can say it's yeah. a holistic approach, right? Because yeah. it's I, looking I, at the entire system rather than each organ in a vacuum. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to use the word holistic because a lot of times we then think about herbs yeah. and natural natural yeah. remedies. But yes, a whole but to picture me, approach. That's the homeopathic is homeopathic, the, yeah, the yeah. herbs and stuff. Holistic, holistic has gotten received like poor connotations. I think because, well, at least for me, the first time I heard the term was um, when I was in school and they were going to use a holistic approach to scoring your essay, right? Which usually meant that kids that didn't make an A would end up making an A because <laughs> they would get credit for some kind of BS that they did because they looked at the whole whatever. Yeah. So it had poor connotations. Um, I mean, really, how do you score an essay anyway? Like, you yeah. know, anyway. So, um, but a whole, like a whole of being approach to medicine, um, to me, only makes sense. But, um, but I don't work on people, right? So if I look at a dog and I say to the dog, you're fat, and that's like exacerbating your osteoarthritis, the dog is not offended. He still loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if I'm treating humans and I say to them, you're fat, and that's why your knee hurts, um, this may not go very well for long-term practice, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think the, well, I didn't necessarily recognize the impact of that for human practitioners or physicians until I had a friend who was a pediatrician and she, she said to me, I was talking with her about, um, a, a baby, right. A random baby, clearly not one belonging to any friend of mine, clearly random. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, this little bitty, this little bitty is obese, like, this is terrible what's going on. And I'm like, can you believe the pediatrician is not saying anything to them? I mean, the pediatrician's treating like the yeast infections in the skin folds. Come on. It's not a Frenchie. It's a kid, right? Right. Um, and she said to me, she said, well, she said, no, I can, I, I like, I can't fault the pediatrician directly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? She said, no. She said, because look, if, if, if especially a first time mom, comes into my exam room and their baby's really, really, really overweight and it's six months old, right? The baby can't go get food for themselves, right? So it's only one, only, you know, some people at fault here. And I say to her, your baby's overweight. And so we need to address that. She said, I'll probably never see that mom again. If I do see her again, she is likely to become one of the least compliant parents for any of my patients, whether it's vaccines, you know, childhood vaccines, whether it's diet, exercise, anything, she said she will become a, not a very, because I, that that's just how it is. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So it's trickier for physicians. But so this is double back to this idea that we were initially talking about that. It's like, if mm-hmm. you're unable, we, it's like, we're unable to communicate some of these tough things that we don't want to hear. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And, and like, yeah. 
Go ahead. It's one thing that I've really tried to embrace. I, um, you know, I'm working on this new uh, partnership and mm-hmm. uh, with somebody in the vet uh, in the vet space. And mm-hmm. you know, they had asked me, and they were like, "Well, you know, what are some of your goals from this project? What what are you looking to get out of it?" And I think I've really tried to embrace it because I I was like, "Well, you know, I have certain goals that I'm trying to reach." And one thing yeah. that I would I'm trying not to give any details because I don't I'm, I don't know if yeah. I'm allowed to talk about it or not. That's why I'm being vague. But uh, you know, okay. one thing I told them is I was like. I would like you to come back to me and, you know, once this kicks off, if there's ways that you think it could be better or could be improved. And I'm not going to take that personally. Um, Cause you're asking for feedback. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not praise, yeah. not criticism, but yeah. feedback. Right. Yeah. When we were in elementary school, they called that constructive criticism. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I love that. And, and I say that to people routinely because it's not personal. Because, because here's the key. I'm very comfortable with what I did or what I wrote or what I, whatever, but I am asking for feedback. I'm comfortable being Jennifer every morning that I wake up. Right. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I can't be a better Jennifer. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there and that, in that, um, yeah, and I think feedback is a better word word to describe it because if we say constructive criticism, it's automatically puts it in a negative light. That's right. Um, That's right. Whereas if we're like, hey, I'm looking for feedback so I can be better. Um, and that's the yeah. feedback continuum, right? That like that's the the continuum, which is praise, which might make you feel good, but is not going to be very helpful, right? And then criticism, which is probably going to make you feel bad. Yeah, not very helpful. But in the middle, the sweet spot is feedback, which is, I understand that you respect me and the product I'm putting out, whether that's a speech, a paper, um, uh, executing a procedure or whatever, but I do respect your ability to be a third party observer and guide me to do it better next time. Right? Yep. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. And, but it's only from a place of, um, confidence, not supreme confidence, right. But confidence mm-hmm. that, that you can accept that thing, you know, that bit of feedback to help you do it better the next time. And it's right. so hard to get people to give it right. Yeah. Like, oh yes. my God. It is. Yeah. So frustrating. And, and, and I think that was one of the most interesting things I learned from Dr. Jan was just, again, this idea and this concept of really learning how to leave your ego at the door. And that was a hard lesson that I learned early on, you know, was um, learning how to say that you made a mistake. But what I think is interesting about this whole concept and, you know, in your professional life is that mm-hmm. if you, I think if you, and I think there's even some science and some data to back this up. I don't have anything, Josh, if you're listening, I don't know. I don't have the studies to back it up, but <laughs> I think there's, I think I've heard something out there. So I could, I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but that the but when you do admit to somebody else that you've made a mistake, it actually increases their trust in you uh, more than if you had just tried to play it off or or lie, right? Um, they're like, oh, okay, yep. well, you mean. In general, in general, people, um, th- and that's one of the things that's great about humans. And this is what I would tell people when I'd hire people. I'd be like, here's the three ways you're going to get canned, and um, and here's the one way you'll keep your job almost no matter what happens. And that one way is if you're trying as hard as you can to do as good a job as you can do, it's really hard for anyone to fault you. I mean, I just can't fault anyone who's trying as hard as they can. I can determine that they are incapable of completing that job. 
and maybe they should move into something else. Right. But I can't fault them if they're trying as hard as they can. And I was raised, that's how I was raised is that you try as hard as you can and you, you, that's all you can do. You can't do no more. And, um, it's, uh, for some reason that's, that's a foreign concept to a lot of people, it turns out. Um, but, uh, and also a lot of people I think don't realize how hard they can try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Which I so. think brings it back again to kind of circle back to this original topic about communication, which I think mm-hmm. in social media, there was a survey that was done where they surveyed Chinese children and they surveyed American children and they, they asked them, you know, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I Mm -hmm. think it was like, uh, elementary school age children, Uh you know, on the cusp of being junior high students, what we have in the U S here, whatever that age range is. I don't have kids, so I don't know what that age range is. Um, It's like 11 or 12, I think. Yeah. And I think I should know, cause like my nephew just turned seven and (laughs) he's in first grade. So I should be able to do the math there, but anyways, math is hard. Um, that's right. Either, (laughs) Either way, either way they were almost like early grown-ups yeah they were were moving into the teenage years right after that so yeah so they should know something but i think what was the most fascinating thing that came about it is that they that the the chinese students were more likely to say they wanted to be like a veterinarian or Mm -hmm. an astronaut or Mm -hmm. a biochemist or these more like heavier advanced degrees Uh uh-huh take a guess what the american students on average said they wanted to be and this actually, this plays right up your alley. And actually, I don't know, like, a, um, I have no idea. A YouTube star. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not that I'm not, and not that I'm trying to downplay the importance that, cause I think, right? you know, I love a lot of independent journalists uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube and people who are doing, there are a number of people in all different spaces um, whether it's like endurance sports that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. um, you know, winter sports, whatever, right, or right, right. medicine, all these things. I love all these independent people coming out and providing a lot of content. I think it's amazing, but I also find it interesting that I don't think the, I don't think kids were thinking about, okay, I'm going to go to vet school and I'm going to become no. a board fortified surgeon. And then I'm going to create a YouTube channel about no. how to be the best fortified. No, they were thinking fit. like for being myself and waking up in the morning, someone should pay me like exactly like, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Exactly. That was the same mm-hmm. thought process I went through, which mm-hmm. I think is an interesting conundrum for, for the country as a whole to, to think about how, it especially is. for par- especially for people like my brother-in-law who has young children, you know, mm-hmm. like how does, you know, how, how does that information then shape how you're potentially trying to raise your children? And yeah. Well, yeah. Like, and what kind of, does that tell us anything about like what they're being exposed to most routinely and what's being elevated in their world, whether it's in their house or in their peer groups or whatever, as you know, something to achieve. Because for me, um, my, like, what would be the answer that would make you the happiest? Like if you, if you had a little kid that you loved and maybe you have one, um, imagine like what, what, how would you want them to answer that question? Cause I know how I would like for them to answer that question, which is what I try to impart to my brother's kids. <laughs> And my that's a great did. question. I have never thought about, so give me your answer. Cause I don't know. I've never thought about that. That's an interesting question. I would like for them to say they want to grow up and be happy. Yeah. Because being happy is a skill. And I think I feel bad for grownups who don't have this, that skill to be happy wherever you are. And that doesn't mean that you quote unquote settle or you're just, you know, 
um, a doormat happy with whatever. No, no, no. It means, it means I can have a goal, but I can still learn to be happy with where I'm at and what I'm doing. And if I'm not, then the ability to recognize when I'm not and make that change. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I like, and I started saying that about myself when I was like, mm, well, it must've just been a couple of years ago. Cause I was like 23 or 24. <laughs> <laughs> right? I started saying, it was I like two saying, months you know, ago. Yeah. Um, and, and it was because especially if you are a veterinarian, there's so many opportunities. There's so many things you can do that. Um, if you, if you just say, well, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a zoo vet. Well, maybe, but if that doesn't happen, then have you failed? Well, maybe, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to work towards that, but I'm, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be happy because I have the opportunity to work towards it. Right. I'm not stuck. Um, so I think, um, and I, and I do think that that is fundamental to a little bit of the mental health issues we're seeing in our profession, um, is that ability to, to be okay with, with what's happening. doesn't mean you don't seek to improve it. Right but you can't save every puppy and kitty and it's not your role to save every puppy and kitty and you can't make every client happy. Yeah. Oh, horror. Of yeah, horrors. exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's a tough concept for me too. Cause I'm very much a people pleaser. And so I hate it when people are upset and especially if I, I do too. To do with it, you know, yeah. I do too. I hate it too, but, um, Okay, but I'm still, you know, I still feel pretty good about being Jennifer when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right, so let me let's dig into that question, that topic a little bit more. Oh. So, you said you, <laughs> you said that you know you would love it for, for your child to be like, well, I just want to be happy. Yeah. But what is happy? What is happiness mm-hmm. without the experience of deep sadness? Well, there you go. Because like, if everything is awesome, everything is awesome um, equally, then everything sucks equally. Right. So, um, you, you have to have the good to have the, or you have to have the bad to have the good. Um, but the, but the problem lies in if you can't then be happy with what you have, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, so and that something, and to me, that's the issue. Yeah. So again, one of those taboo topics that we're not t- allowed to talk about, but you know, it's my podcast. So I bring it up a lot, but I love, I love the theology. And again, when we were talking about this mm-hmm. idea of learning some of the, it, it tries to answer a lot of the tough questions in life. And I think um, I spent a number of years studying at a Buddhist monastery in the deep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Really? But the, it was, yeah, I was here in Denver and um, yeah. It was a Tibetan based. And then I got really interested in the Theravadan tradition, which is a Thai based. Um, oh, wow. But, but what is interesting about it is that in the old Sanskrit uh, mm-hmm. that Sar- Siddhartha Gautama or the Buddha mm-hmm. wrote, it was this idea that you shouldn't be attached to happiness or sadness, but you should learn how to let allow them to come and pass. And it's to this wash attach- over you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's this attachment. Again, the, the kind of the, one of the core concepts of, and one of the, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. The four tenets of Buddhism is this, this idea that we get attached to constant happiness, or we get attached to this experience that is uh, 
greater sadness um, mm-hmm. and we can't let go of it. And maybe for people who maybe grew up with like a Judeo Christian background, um, you know, like if you, if you read the gospels and you listen to Christ, you know, he talked, I think one of the greatest parables he tells is, you know, this rich man came to him and he was like, well, how, you know, I've given to the poor. How can I, how can I, how can I mm-hmm. be with you? And he was like, sell everything you have, give that to the poor and then come follow me and be my disciple. And he talks about how that at that point, the rich man walked away really sad. And it was this idea of giving up all this, per- it was this attachment to all oh, the of those, attachment. Yeah. all those personal possessions mm-hmm. and um, how there are greater things in life. But yeah, I think it's, again, I think these are some concepts that I think there's so much great ancient wisdom out there that, you know, sometimes we're, we're not, not the first people. like, we're not yeah. the first humans to face like, um, you know, what we think are crappy circumstances. We're not the first human, we're not the first humans to do hardly anything except that like this space odyssey stuff. Right. And yeah. so, um, I think, uh, I guess the, really the, the, like the, the foundation of it is, and Quincy Holly and I, um, have talked about this, um, before, uh, which is it's, I'm not in control of all those things that are going on. Right. I'm not in control of whether or not I get that job. I'm not in control of, you know, whether or not this person likes me. I'm not in control of whether or not this client likes me. Right. I'm only in control of what I do and how I perceive it. And so, yeah. Okay. I'm not super happy with everything right, right now, but I'm pretty okay. You know, all right. It could be better. Um, and just because I'm, I, in my mind's eye, I constantly have an idea of what ideal opportunity looks like, or what the ideal set of circumstances looks like, doesn't mean I'm unhappy with, with what's going on right now. Um, it just means that everything is going to change and I'm not in control of it, but, but I can be excited and happy about it. Right. Cause I can control that. And yeah. so it's the, the whole perspective of it. And, and I would agree, like all of it just washes over you. Right. Like, you know, like, and there's an old phrase, right. It's not near as fancy as, um, any Buddhist sayings, I guarantee you, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we say, um, Hey man, these are the good old days, right? Like these right. are them it's happening yeah. right now. So don't right. be waiting around for them. They're yeah. here. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. and, a friend of mine recently said to me, uh, well, a few months ago, um, how is it that you don't ever ask anything about the past? How is it you're not asking me about this or that, or that, you know, that person or, you know, uh, past anything. And, um, and I'm like, oh, I'm not, huh? Am I not? I didn't even know I wasn't because I just don't care. I wasn't there if it's important enough and had an impact on what's happening right now, you'll share it. And if it wasn't, again, I don't care. I care about about today. And I care about the fact that tomorrow's not, not a given. Nope. Might not wake up tomorrow. Could be hit by a bus tomorrow. Don't know. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have today and we have, you know, we probably have the exact day tomorrow but we don't have next week. I mean, the whole set of circumstances could shift. Right. Yeah. And so understanding that I think goes a long way to helping veterinarians recognize that today, this dog that I'm seeing for 
because it's got raging HDE or parvo. Um, he's not going to die today. Maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, but not today. Cause here I am. This is what I'm doing. Right. Right. And I do answer it that way for clients too. When they say, is he going to die? Yes. Guaranteed. That is a fact, but yeah. not today. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a, I would love your thought on this. You know, one thing that I always struggled with and maybe even still to this day is um, because of the nature of the business that I'm in and, and, and technology, it affords me some opportunities that it doesn't afford other people. Uh, oh, yeah. For, for example, I can pretty much work anywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to wake up before the sun comes up, climb, skin to the top of a mountain and ski down and have the mountain to myself and, and do some of these things. And a lot of times I find myself getting caught up in this space of guilt, right? Like I shouldn't be able to enjoy this because, you know, like, like with my customers, they're glued to a building and they have Mm -hmm. to be there. And it's almost like this self-doubt or self-guilt that you're enjoying some of these moments. And that has been a big big learning experience for me is a, most people would be like, dude, that sucks. I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and sweat and freeze. And it just doesn't sound fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's that, like that aspect of it, but then also the aspect that there are people who love being in the clinic and love, mm-hmm. you know, being there at 7am to see their patients. And that's why they do it and learning not to judge myself against what I think their expectations are and what their mm-hmm. thoughts are, but mm-hmm. rather, rather just try to, again, think about it. Cause I, the other thing, one way I try to resolve that conflict is I'm always like, if I'm on my deathbed, would I be excited that I sat around on the computer and waited for somebody to call me or would I be, right. you know, what I regret or would I regret that I didn't get out and, and do those things. Um, and so that's kind of the, the way I always approach it. Have there any been, have there ever been any positions in your career? Cause you've done so many different things and you've kind of, you've had so many experiences. And as you said, you know, I, w- I would like to do everything all the time, you know, have there ever been any experiences where you've kind of felt that guilt or kind of that, that self-shame? No, no, that's amazing. Not at all. Well, um, I, I don't think, okay. So, so when you asked me like kind of what brought me to where to here today, right. Um, I, I mean, there's, there are a lot of people who, um, pass on things I would consider incredible opportunities. Um, I, I said, yes. Right. Um, and so, I don't think that what I have been able to experience is unique to me or special or was, you know, like life is not a zero sum game. So just because I got to do it doesn't mean other people don't get to do it or couldn't have done it. Right. They just chose to do something different. Um, And so, yeah, so that doesn't bother me. And to the contrary, I think to myself, dude, I am lucky. Um, but I don't think that in such a way that my being where I am, um, creates a circumstance where someone else, um, misses out, right? Like I, that doesn't bother me. Um, because I don't think it, I, I don't know. I just don't think life works that way. There's no reason that everyone can't be sitting at the same position that I am. I mean, 
Now, okay, like don't go nuts, right? Like, of course, there's only X number of spots for certain titles or whatever, but it doesn't mean that everyone can't find um, themselves in a set of circumstances where they get to determine what they do with every day. Because frankly, if you ask my parents and anyone in my family who and anyone who's known me since I was five, I thought that every day I woke up, I got to pick what I get to do that day, right? That That's just... Uh, how it is. Now, luckily for me, I chose to go to school every day. <laughs> Otherwise I would have been miserable, yeah. right? Because yeah. I was going to have to go anyway. And so I feel like other people, they every, everybody has different opportunities presented them. They just make different decisions. Okay. But just because I am where I am, doesn't mean that someone else can't be right there too. So so interesting. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you're talking about as a, as a child, you always, you kind of thought this way as well. Um, do you think this had a nature? Do you think this has always kind of been a part of your upbringing or do you think this was something that your parents instilled in you as a younger child or? Hmm. I don't know. I have no idea. That's a good question. I don't know. I just know I've always, um, decided whether or not I was going to do something. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, um, when, so it goes down to as, as little bitty things of this, right? Like when people be like, well, I didn't want to call you so late. And I'm like, like, why not? I ain't got to answer. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, I thought you were doing this. I didn't want to bother you. And I'm like, well, if I was doing that and I didn't want to be bothered, Hey, guess what? <laughs> right, well, yeah, I would have answered. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like it's, but it's this, but that's the whole approach, right? So in the morning when I wake up, yeah, I, I, I think today's going to be okay. I think I'm going to do whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to work today and you know what, I'm going to go to work and I am not going to let that person bother me no matter how hard they try. Right. Like, but, and it doesn't happen overnight. I think for people who don't have that approach, I think you can adopt that approach and, but, but it is, it is a hundred percent mindset and it's, and it is, it is a choice. I choose to, I choose to be happy. Right. I choose to embrace whatever it is. And I, and I do think it is that, um, you know, in the military, they have that saying, what embrace the suck, right. If it sucks, then you should say, well, but then I choose to, to do it and man, it's going to suck. Right. Just to give yourself a little bit. It's when you find yourself in mentally difficult situations, um, that you can do nothing about, but you need to get your mind right in order to make it through. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Do it. And that, but that's also why, um, I also like the phrase, um, cause it's very useful for me is, um, I eat the frog early right? Eat the frog first. So eating a frog is just sounds super disgustorama to me. Um, not to everybody. So like, you know, <laughs> it could be their ice cream. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. for me eating frogs, not what I would choose. Yep. So if I have a task that I really don't want to do, then instead of dreading it all day, even subconsciously, I just do it first. I eat the frog, eat the frog first. So, cause then the rest of the day is great. Right. Yep. So, yeah, but it's all a mindset. It's all in your mindset. So. What this is, this is also kind of a weird off topic thing, but do you, uh, are you familiar with Dr. Sam Harris at all? He's a neuroscientist. He's pretty popular uh, now. And like the, uh, in the moral argument, he's pretty, he's pretty popular when it comes to he, him and, uh, Eric Weinstein have, uh -huh. and a bunch of other uh, people have kind of started. It's like this black 
black something thought project where it's kind of some of they they've kind of got these like thought leaders together anyways i'm kind of kind of going I down feel, a rabbit hole i know i i feel like i know i i feel like i know that name but sam harris seems to be a pretty two pretty common names first yeah. and last right so maybe not, <laughs> yeah. but um but i might be familiar with whatever the philosophy is that they're well yeah so he's, he's very he defends the determinist argument that everything is okay. predetermined um oh he and, defends that yeah and what i think what i think is interesting about the argument is i think on its face uh-huh. it makes a lot of sense right because if you look at determinism that the the definition says that your 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 actions are predetermined by right. everything that happened prior right well and i think there, and i think there's a lot i think there's yeah. something to be said for that because sure. i'm going to make a limited if i look at the free will concept i'm going to make mm-hmm. a little bit of a few decisions based i'm going to make decisions based on my past experiences right of course because your past informs your present right like yeah mm -hmm. but we also know from like quantum physics and and, and Mm -hmm. the heisenberg uncertainty principle Mm -hmm. that we can never know for certain like especially with a particle it's absolute relative position and speed right there's right there's this whole top so there's there's definitely uncertainty there so there's this it's kind of this battling free will thing so it was just interesting because you what made me think about that is that you know you have this this thought process that you're going to wake up every day and you get to make the decisions as to what's going to, um, you know, make your life better or how you're, how I'm going to receive the day. day. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Um, and I think, I I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this and I, it, but it just made me think about it that it's like, but yet on the other hand, there are people who it's like, you're you're kind of, some people are determined to live a shitty life and other people are determined to have Mm -hmm. a great life. Um, but I love that. But without that mental, I guess what made me think about it, because without you waking up without that, with that thought process, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Right. Like the idea right. to say, you know what, I don't care. And the right. power of being able to say that I don't care what this person thinks is, is also very powerful. I think. Well, and I think that's also another concept too, right? Like it's, um, it's not that it's not that we don't care, right? Like I care a lot what people think. Right. Um, but it's, it is that, that doesn't define my opinion of myself, right? Like I care what they think, um, but it, but it doesn't change because so, and so I'll take this back to a clinical situation. Cause I think all those things also inform your medical style. Right. And, um, for me and anyone who's worked with me, who's listening is going to be cracking up right now. Cause you know, it's true. Um, if something's happening with a case, um, like, let's okay. Let's say I put up some x-rays. Cause I have like real life. I can tell you the story. Like I put up the x-rays and I'm looking at them. Number one, I hate x-rays. Okay. <laughs> I am not the x-ray doctor. I am the fluids doctor. So yeah. I put up the x-ray and I'm looking right. And I look at them like this, like that's how I look at x-rays because <laughs> I hate them. And so, uh, anybody. For, okay. Walks... So this is a podcast. So basically what she yeah. did, she put her hand right up to her face. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I press my face up against yeah. the x-rays because maybe yeah. then I can see something. Yeah. So, um, anyone that walks by, I'm like, Hey, what do you, what do you think? Have a look. What do you think? You know, one time I asked the FedEx guy, he walked behind me. I was like, (laughs) dude, like, what do you see there? (laughs) And after he laughed, he was like, Oh, Oh, all right. All right. So then he stood there for a minute and he's like, I mean, is that the guts or is that the lungs? I don't know. Right. And I'm like, well, you're right on both counts. It was like a catagram or something. And so like, you know, I'm looking, I ask everybody what they think. 
Um, the same thing when I'm going to make a big life decision, I ask everybody, everybody in my world, like, what do you think? What do you, you think? think? Yeah. Just because I want to know what other people think doesn't mean that I allow for that to change what I think. Those are two different things. However, shame on me if I'm so insecure in what I think that I cannot allow for other people to tell me what they think because I'm afraid it will shift what I'm like, wow, those are two different things, right? So just because I, I ask about that, especially for women, I think that's incredibly important for women because we're very collaborative by nature in general, right? It, again, don't cancel me. Don't but, cancel me. Yeah. Right. M- most women are more collaborative inherently than men. And uh, so then you throw us into a veterinary clinical situation and we tend to be more collaborative, right? Not all, but m- we tend to be. And so some people can perceive that as a weakness clinically. Nope. Our... Just because, because the other thing is, if you look at that concept of servant leadership, it means like if I'm the leader on a clinical team, should I not ask the opinion and input of everyone on my team? Right? Well, so you can't tell me I'm wrong because I'm asking for everyone's input. But then if I don't, you tell me I'm wrong because I'm not asking for my team's input, right? Like you can't have it both ways. So whatevs, people are going to say whatever they're going to say, do what you do. I ask everyone for their opinion doesn't mean it's going to change what I think I might far be it from me to like cut out any source of information that may help improve the clinical situation for the animal I'm caring for. Right. Right. So that it's that whole concept. Is it determined? Am I thinking of it? Is it, is it my opinion inherently? Did it come from over here? Who cares? You know, leading the team, providing the care. Right. So yeah, I think all that's important. And people don't talk about it enough, right? Like who's talking about this in vet school? Ain't nobody talking about no. this. <laughs> no. Yeah. Lord. Well, actually I haven't been to vet school, so I'm not sure, but. Trust um, me, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. Uh, they're not. Uh, you know, I guess as somebody who was lucky enough to be able to put themselves through law school, I mean, there was, I think because by nature of going to law school, you're already, mm-hmm. maybe you're just inherently, uh, you already have the the gift of wanting to argue all the time, you know, right. about different topics. Right. So, you know, when you're in different class groups and stuff, you have uh-huh. a lot of these conversations. Maybe it's just because of the nature of the people who decide to go to law school, but yeah, yeah, I haven't been to vet school. So I can't say, I can't say on that. Um, you know, one thing that you also mentioned, and I think really resonates with me and you mentioned this a long time ago is that, you know, I love to do everything all the time. And everything I think that's, all the time. yeah. And yeah. so many people have like, uh, they're always like, Oh, you, you know, what haven't you done? And, and sometimes I'm like, well, I'm kind of like a master, a jack of all trades, master of none, you know, because I've, I have done a lot of things, but I've always approached life. And what I think is interesting. And now that I, you know, go back to what you said earlier in, in this is that, you know, when we were talking about this idea of you being happy is that, you know, you said, well, there's no reason that somebody else, you know, my actions aren't determining that somebody else can't do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And that they have the opportunity to make those and they've made their own decisions to get where they're at. What is interesting about that and where I'm coming back with this is that I have tried so many different things in my life because I've, I have always held the, the idea in, in the, in the principle that somebody else is just a person, right? Regardless if you're the president, regardless if you're Neil Armstrong, 
you're just a person. And if you are a person who is able to figure that out, there's no reason I can't also do that. And it has exactly. opened a world, a, a whole wide world of things that I have tried and I've done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what I was getting at with like, when I, like one of the reasons I started my own YouTube show is I mean, to see if I could do it as far as like uh, the techni- technology part, right? Like, could I, cause okay. Like I know I can talk on a camera to a camera, right? This is not like, I've been doing that also since I was like five, right? I don't care. I talk to a post. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but could I do it in such a way that I've recorded it? Then could I do all these things? Could I put, you know, develop it into a product? Cause there are people that do that for a living, and if they can do it, can, could I figure out how to do it? You know, like it may take me a lot longer. It may not look quite as slick, but maybe could I do it? Could I do it to a point that I'd be happy with it? Right. Yeah, I don't know. And so I feel a little bit like, um, and maybe you experience this too. I feel a little bit like I'm watching my life as a movie. <laughs> I don't know. Can she do it? Right. <laughs> so yeah. frequently, that's what I try to do. Something going to be like, I don't know. Could I do that? <laughs> yep. Yep. Let me let yeah. me see if I can try. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, so but at what point do you just dis- what at what point do you stop and move on to the next? Can I try? Oh, when it's no fun anymore. That's when. Mm-hmm. When when it's um several days or several episodes, several times in a row that it's not any fun. Yeah, I gotta look around for something else. And um, I don't want you to think that like I can do that, like because you know I have a tree in the backyard that grows hundred dollar bills or something like that. Um, that's not like a luxury item. Like having that sort of um, inquisitive um, nature is not. A, you don't have to have money to do that. Um, what you have to have is time and interest, uh, right? And no one can make more time. We all only have as much as we have. It's the most valuable thing in the universe until they figure out how to make more of it. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, figuring out how to do stuff. I like to figure out how to do stuff as cheap as possible, always. Uh, even though I, you know, could I pay for stuff? Yeah, sure. But then I think, oh, that's cheating, right? Let me see if I can figure out how to do this if I had no budget. Um, and that's another piece of the challenge. Um, so I, yeah, so, and, and I do, I hate to say no. Um, ever since I was very small, um, I would finish my schoolwork as fast as possible, um, in order to be prepared to be able to go on the next adventure with my dad or, you know, with our family, or if there was something, some other opportunity that presented itself, I didn't want to have to say, Oh, I can't do it. Cause I'm stuck doing this that I could have done an hour ago, but I didn't, you know? And so that's everything all the time. Let me see how I can fix it where I can do all the things so that I, I don't miss out. Do you think you have FOMO syndrome? I think I invented it. <laughs> I think I like, I personify it. Right. Because, um, you know, I grew up watching, um, watching TV. Right. Uh, and there was always, the, there was one person that never dies in any adventure story. And that's the guy who knew how to get you off the Island, whether he could fly the helicopter, which is one reason I want to know how to fly helicopters. Cause they never kill the guy. That's the pilot. Um, <laughs> And so I say to like, you never know what the skill is that's going to get you off the island. Um, and so, yeah, I'd like to try all of it. Um, 
And I'd like to try it enough times to become good at it. Um, because I mean, that could be what gets me off the Island. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. That's everything. For me, for me, it's like, I, I, I always move to the next thing when I feel like I have researched it so much that there's nothing else for me to learn about it. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? And then you're done. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, finished. yeah, I can't go to YouTube university and look up any more videos about X, you know, right. when I've right, exhausted right. all the professionals and I can't get any more yes. opinions, you know, then I've kind of exhausted X and then I'm like, all right, maybe it's time. Maybe to move it's time on for me thing. to make my YouTube tutorial on it and then move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting about that is like, again, for me personally in my own, to talk about my own personal problems is that, you know, a lot of times, uh, and I think maybe this is like one thing that has been a real growth for me in mm-hmm. like, cause I've always loved photography and we mentioned my photography channel or, or Instagram yes. account earlier. So I, I'll use that as an example. One thing that has kept it going for me is that I realized like, I don't have to have a million followers on Instagram to be successful. Why do I do it? And a lot of times and it took me stepping away from, cause sometimes like, you, you know, I can go out and I can create these images, but then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what do I do with it? Well, right. Instagram gives me a place to, to publish yep. it and share exactly. it. Um, and then, but then if you, if you, if you lose the the initial reason of why, and you start to focus on just the publishing and sharing, and then that becomes your goal, then you kind of lose the, the art of it. Mm-hmm. And so it always, yep. it has become now become like, okay, how can I focus on the vastness of the human space when I look at these elements and not set the stage, but let the stage happen and then capture it. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And, um, and then I actually had another, uh, professional photographer, like critique my work that, which I've never oh, had had before. And wow. so that was interesting to hear their opinion. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So for me, it's always like, don't get caught up in the, I can't let myself get caught up in the publishing aspect of it. I have to get right. caught up in why I like to do it in the first place. Right. And that's what, um, that's what people are like, why are you starting a show? Like you already have these shows you do over here. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I don't produce those. Like I, I don't, um, and I want to see if I could do it. And I've always loved talking to people about the animal world. Right. Cause I grew up in it. Um, like I said, that communication stuff, like I don't understand, like for me, uh, I presume that people know what I know, right? Like everyone does like, that's a, yeah. like, like your default, I right? The same thing. Yep. Yeah. And so like, I'm presuming that, you know, that that giant eland that's looking at us in the pasture is about to charge us. And then when you, you make a bonehead move and I'm like, what are you doing? How did you not know that? Right. So talking about the things that, um, still excite me as though I'm an eight year old, um, that is what is fun. And that is why I do it because I feel like, um, I mean, it's just, it's so interesting. How are people not, how are, how would you not be interested? Right. How would you not be interested in the, um, the folklore surrounding, um, the specific types of lemurs that have been created by the native Malagasy people? How is that not interesting? Of course it's interesting, right? Like, how is it not interesting to discover why lemurs are lemurs? Like, why aren't they capuchins, right? Well, because they're not. And like, how do you not know, like, how a monkey is different from a lemur? 
<laughs> oh, because the rest of the world doesn't have does not walk around knowledge. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, to me, that's like don't stick beans up your nose. That's like stuff people should just know. Um, and so sharing that is is very much the why for me. Um, and I think that's why I enjoy practice at any level with any creature in any setting, is because I get to uh assure that other people get to continue that relationship, right? Uh, whether it's with their dog or their cat, or whether it's all of us with the crazy creatures that inhabit the planet with us, right? It's all the same to me. Um, and so that is the why for why I get up in the morning and decide, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll be a veterinarian today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's it. And, and I'll do everything all the time. <laughs> So as we come down to the last few minutes here, there's one other question I'd like to to dig in a little bit that, that I think is kind of a good segue from what you're talking about is earlier you had mentioned this idea of one health and mm -hmm. we were talking about this holistic approach and yep. how, you know, you're not really, you're, your approach really isn't like the herbs and medicine side of it. And uh, I actually have been fortunate enough to kind of lead some panel discussion between animal professionals and human uh, professionals mm -hmm. on thing on discussions around uh, psilocybin, mm -hmm. uh, yep. the use of the use of those kind of therapies, uh, ketamine, yep. MDMA, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm interested in your perspective. I guess where I'm going with this is that I'm somebody who's very interested um, in the power of plants. Uh, yeah, just, I should yeah. know that it's in your emails, your emails. Yeah, signature. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Peace, love and plants. And That's I think right. that, uh, I think when we look at some of these modalities, mm -hmm. they're extremely powerful. And then yes. I think, I think the light bulb went off for me when I started to realize how impactful just clean foods were, um, especially going into like trading for this really big bike race. It was 120 miles over three mountain passes. It's called the triple bypass. And wow. then training for my first Ironman. Like when I it's was going to the machine, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, we talk about the sad diet, right? The standard American diet, um, yeah. and how terrible it is. I realized the power of plants and then being involved in some of these one health discussions and listening mm -hmm. to really the power of things that actually can come out of the ground. Um, what it's incredible, right? And yeah. And and all, so all of medicine really emanates from that, right? Like, um, you know, you can talk about, um, uh, different drugs and then you, for most of them, if you were so inclined, you can go back and find, oh, well, back in olden days, right before the, like the onset of, uh, microbial theory and understanding that microbes live among, on, and with us, um, you know, people still, people employed plants, herbs, whatever, organic substances to perform the same jobs that we now choose a select pharmaceutical for. It was just a little bit cruder, right? Because they, you know, they would use slippery elm, right? Like a, a chunk of slippery elm instead of, you know, a, a tablet of compressed powder, right? That's more pure. Right. Yeah. And so, but um, in, on a, in another sense, that the stuff that they had available to them that they would go collect out of, you know, the field or whatever 
was probably a lot more pure than what we have available now out in the field, right? Just because we've been on the planet longer, you know, as a species and there's other contaminants, et cetera. And I'm not saying they're good or bad. I, I don't have a position on that because frankly, today is today. This is what they are. It looks like, I feel like a piece of furniture in the room, right? It's, it, it's here. Um, and so the concept of plants as medicine isn't new and it's not old, right? It still is. I mean, it's still the, what the number one drug, right? comes from puppies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay? yeah, like, yeah. Right. It, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you can't get away from it. So, um, so when I say that I don't, um, I don't use, you know, herbs and, and that sort of thing. Um, that's really inaccurate for, I think any medical practitioner in any field to say we do, we just use them like four times removed. Um, and then of course they have synthetics, you know, but all of the synthetics are to mimic, you know, the activity of naturally occurring. And so I don't use herbs. Like I'm not going to prescribe for you, um, something that you're going to go get. Like from- we're using milk thistle right now to help treat my dog's liver. Well, no, but see, I use milk thistle. Oh, okay. Oh, I, so- <laughs> use it, I use it in a product that comes out of a box. All right. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it usually has other stuff with it. Yeah. And that's very effective and good for you um, because it's incredibly protective to the liver. But um, I, I'm just not the person that um, is going to have like, uh, you know, bottles of stuff that, uh, you know, like snake root and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Like, I'm yeah. just not that person. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that's what you want to do. And if, if you have success with it, that's fantastic. Um, but then also don't look at me. Like, I give respect to people who use that because if they're right. good at it, great. Yeah. If they're not, well, then they're terrible no matter what. Like, I don't care. You're not terrible because you're using herbs. You're terrible because you're not good at using herbs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I once put a giant Galapagos tortoise in a coma for a month. Okay. So, I mean, like, I don't, I don't have a problem doing stuff that I had to, like, I needed for him to the rock, right. It's like basically like putting a rock in a coma. I needed for him to be in a coma, long enough that the metabolic processes could, could slow down so that I could have an impact on them in a positive way so that he didn't die. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so it's pretty scary to go into a barn every day and look at the rock that's sitting there and think, I mean, I get a sense that he feels better. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but he did fine. And I yeah. woke him up and he didn't die, even though he sloughed his larynx. And so anyway, so yeah. you can do, you can do different stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's what I say. Um, I, I think we're just, uh, we have maybe what I would consider mostly, most of the time, safer and more pure products may be available. So, but otherwise we're using plants. Yeah. But yeah, what I think is interesting about that concept, that, that, uh, topic is like, uh, working now with uh, Dr. Sarah Andre who runs veterinarycannabis.org and she's one of the mm-hmm. leading educators around, uh, cannabis and the use, use in small animals is that, you know, like with my dog that was going through cancer, that was going through TCC cancer Oof. now with a tray, you mm-hmm. with her oncologist, what, what I think the discussion is really fascinating is that for a long time, it's been this with 
cannabis has been this discussion around, well, CBD and THC, right? And we're talking about mm-hmm. the uses of these two chemicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even an FDA approved CBD oil, you know, Epidolox mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. Epidiolex, but what I th- yep. But what I think is really fascinating about the conversation is now Trina, Dr. Trina Hazah is finding mm-hmm. that the terpenes, so the stuff that gives cannabis that smell or that there's like 350 pungent. different terpenes in, in cannabis. Yep. Yeah. And those, terpenes, and we only know about like four, <laughs> right. And those terpenes are actually affecting the modality of how the THC and the, the CBD are working within the body. So like with cash, we use certain terpene profiles for uh-huh. his TCC cancer that would have the greatest effect on the epi, uh, epithelial cells. Uh-huh. Now with the tree, we are looking at different terpenes to blend with the CBD and THC to affect, to, to kind of really work on his liver condition and his, mm-hmm. his kidney condition. So where I guess where I'm, how to wrap that up is what I think is really fascinating is a lot of times we look at, you know, like as we look at plants, we look at one specific compound. And I think Western medicine has done amazing things in the fact of being able to isolate these compounds and seeing what they can do by themselves. But sometimes we are missing out on when, when you have the whole plant, how all the other pieces in that plant Mm -hmm. then affect how that specific compound is worked within in the body and within the system. And uh, and I think cannabis is is such a great example of that. it, it's going to be the generate the um, example for multiple generations of that, right? Because yep. we're so busy focusing on one tree that we miss the value of the forest itself, right? Yep. So the like because we don't we 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 have no idea. I mean, we truly have no idea how cannabis works. I mean, I'm just saying, right. like because not number one, not all cannabis is the same. Number two. Then it depends on what you fed it while you were growing it, right? Yep, yep. And then number three, if you take out one piece of the Jenga puzzle that is the terpenes or the, all the other chemicals, I don't even say the right words, but all the chemicals in the plant, do the others all act the same way? Well, maybe not, right? right? Yeah. And so what's interesting to me is that when you put humans together and we're talking about this, um, it's taken decades for humans to get out of their own way and even allow for the exploration of the impact of these herbs. Right. And so I'm like, what, what about LSD? Right. Right. There were people that that were exploring the use of LSD for all sorts of uh, neuropathies and stuff. Timothy Leary and Ram Dass. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not advocating that people go out and (laughs) find some LSD, but but I'm saying that because there's all the, the fear of um, the negative impact sometimes really stands in the way of discovering the positive impact, Yeah, you know, and, and I don't have a problem now, look, and everyone like, like, I'm sure, you know, from the rem- earlier parts of this conversation, I ain't the person that's popping out there and like going to be taking CBD and LSD. <laughs> I'm not that person, but, yeah. but I don't have a problem when saying that what we have isn't working. What else is there? Yeah. Because if, if the possible has been excluded, then it must be the impossible that remains. Right. Yeah. And I, I, why do we not think of those sorts of things? Why? Like, because they threaten everybody. Again, we get back to like your foundation, the foundation of your perception of yourself a hundred percent. Right. If my whole entire career was built on the fact that this is bad. Yeah. Well then how do you now come in when I'm in my sixties 
which I'm not, but when, if a person's <laughs> in their sixties and you, you actually have evidence that I spent my whole career on something that was a farce. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's an interesting, I think one thing that I think it's really tough for people like yourself and other people in the industry that are med- you know, DVMs and are medical professionals is that where I think it's kind of like, we're, I say we're like, I'm a part of this, but I'm very fascinated with, I guess the industry as a whole is you're, you're in this position where it's like, we need to be able to isolate these chemicals to see how they interact, but then we're missing out on how they can truly perform or what the true impact is when you conclude all the other compounds that are in it with, yep. included within a plant. But yet we do still need a way to be able to isolate it, to see how it really affects so we can study it and better understand what can happen. So it's this weird and like, you know, being able to give exact dosing, like they did with, you know, at John mm-hmm. Hopkins with the psilocybin study and they made right. synthetic psilocybin, but right. it's because they had a very exact amount and it's just very, but do we need to have exact amounts? Like, do we really need to know that to be that precise in human medicine? That's a FYI, great question. They yeah. just give you some, right. Every, they just have like <laughs> a human dose. It's it like, and so then I'm thinking, well, if the margin of safety is broad, cause Okay for cannabis and dogs. I mean, is it toxic? Yeah. And actually, apparently not unless you give it with butter, right? Like with the fatty substance that that one poor dog, um, ate, um, and, and then that dog died. So, so if you talk to like Joseph Wachschlag and some other folks who are, who've been researching this for years, um, they'll tell you it's really not actually deadly to them. We right. have not yet found an actual overdose amount. Okay. Now, yeah. Cause I think there's a study where they gave them what it was like up to like 4,000 milligrams per kg. Like if you gave that to me, like I'd be on another planet, like I would want mm-hmm. to die cause it would be so bad, you know, but and I but, think a door, and, a door mouse died or something, I think. Yeah. But, but it wasn't this massive LD 50, you know, like they were looking for. So, um, so that's interesting. So then you start to wonder, well, why, why has it been an illicit substance for so long? Well, then you get into human nature, which is if you're dealing with humans and you have politics, like whether or not you want want to engage in politics, it doesn't matter if you're a human working with other humans, there's politics, right? It's the name for that dynamic, right? So, but then I think to myself, you know, there's other countries that have some really, really awesome things, right? Like, so, cause okay. At one point in my life and previous life, I had, um, letters of permission to import um, experimental investigational new animal drugs um, from other countries for lots of different reasons. Um, and I did, and they were awesome and I used them great, but, um, but they weren't available here. Right. Um, and they weren't licensed here using them all over the place in other countries. Right. But here they were too dangerous. And I'm like, too dangerous yeah. for what? I'm not going to eat them. I'm not going to stick them up my nose, you know? Um, but that's what they were. Um, and so I often wonder about that. Um, and, uh, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. right? Allowing for the exploration of the unknown. You can't be so afraid of the unknown that you cut off people's access to it. Yep, that's exactly. Just, man, yeah, exactly. That's just not reasonable. So, but anyway, yeah. So well, I'm with you. Plan. Well, anyway, so okay. we weren't really long here, but I felt like there are so many things more that we could talk about. And and every time I'm like, oh, she's probably like, when, when is this thing going to end? <laughs> so with, with that being said, uh, this is kind of your, la- this is your shameless self-promotion. You get to oh, promote to the audience. My opportunity. <laughs> yes. There's no shame in promoting whatever you got going on. What do you want yeah. people to check out? How yeah. can they find out more about you? 
Okay. So, um, appreciate that. So I have a website, drjenthevet.com. So drjenthevet.com. Um, and then also, uh, on, and on that website, I have links to, um, my YouTube channel, Instagram, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, uh, don't go there expecting to see someone who's incredibly proficient with any of the technology, <laughs> but, uh, but go there to find a genuine person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but, uh, I, I, I hope that, um, listeners will, um, take a gander at my show. Is this a thing? Um, and, uh, provide me any feedback, right? You can shoot me my emails right there in front of God and everybody, um, right. you know, or drop a comment, um, and let me know, share it with your friends who are not veterinarians. Cause the target audience is not veterinarians. It's people who love animals. Now I know a lot of veterinarians watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause some of them comment, but, um, but yeah, but, uh, yeah, I would love it if, if folks would, would check it out. I only have four episodes up so far, so it's very new and I'm very open to ideas for, uh, translation, um, the most recent episode up is, um, oh, Dr. Jen translates COVID-19 in pets. Ooh, um, that's yeah, good. thanks for that. That's the appropriate reaction. So did you get, did you get the little like YouTube warning to find out more accurate information about COVID-19? Please click on this link to the CDC. Oh yeah. I think that's underneath my, yeah. probably underneath my, um, thing, but I ignore that. Um, yeah. because I'm from Texas. And so like, we think the federal government's interesting and I read their stuff, <laughs> but it's not our only source of information. <laughs> um, yeah. and, 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 um, I link to like in that descriptor, um, uh, in particular for that video, I link to sources of credible information for pet parents, frankly, for veterinarians as well. Um, and I do talk about recent publications about COVID-19 and pets and how to evaluate that data. Um, so that moving forward, when I don't put out a new video on new publications, you have some tools with which to consider the data. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity yeah. to do that. No, and thanks for is, having me on your podcast. Yeah, no, this is amazing. I feel like there's, man, there was actually, as you were saying that, I was like, there's like, oh, I have more questions for you, but we, <laughs> we, would, we would go on for days. We would That's never right. get anything done. Yeah. No. Oh, I always have extra words, so don't worry. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. thank you. It was truly an honor. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, it was, it was great to learn, to learn more about you and talk about some of these difficult to topics and yeah, really explore some interesting ideas. Yeah. And same here. It was great to learn more about your background too. And why it says peace, love, and plants. And yeah. I love it. I love <laughs> okay. it. Okay. A lot of people have asked me, so I guess I will throw it out there. There is a, there's another podcast host, uh, Rich Roll. He's been doing podcasts like before you could like download him. He's an endurance athlete. Uh, oh. He's primarily plant-based, but he always says peace, love, and plants. And I, so I totally awesome. rip it off from Rich Roll, but it, awesome. I didn't rip it off as that I'm like trying to steal it from him. I give him hundred yeah. percent credit and it's really yeah. to pay homage to Rich Roll. So. Yeah. Oh, love it. Love yeah. it. That's awesome. Everyone should be so lucky to find something like that, that really, that they, you know, can really get behind and believe in. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. It truly was an honor. And uh, yeah, if there's any way I can return the favor, please don't hesitate to ask. All right. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.